Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. A bit of an irreverent turn here. But I can't pray, give us this day our daily bread without thinking of Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan is one of my favorite comics. This isn't the one, so you can go back real quick. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, J- Jim Gaffigan uh, is a comic who talks about bread a lot. He actually talks about food a lot, which is perhaps why he and I have so much in common. Uh, but he talks about the nature of going to restaurants and how all of a sudden we act like we've never had bread in our whole life. You know, it's like we crave it. Bread! And he even quips, you know, we should have this at home. And, and, we, and we do. But man, you just devour it like there's no end to it. And so for whatever reason, when I think about praying our daily bread, I, I always think of that, and I'm sorry, Jesus. Um... I also, I came across a cartoon recently that, and again, I I recognize that uh, gluten allergies are real and that I could stand to be on a vegan diet, but this is one of the funnier cartoons I've ever seen. This was Jesus uh, reaching millennials with fishes and loaves and the questions that they would ask, like, uh, has the fish been tested for iodine? And, and, uh, and and is this gluten-free bread? And, and, and I just, for whatever reason, I, I found this amusing, and, and it's not all that irrelevant to our passage today, believe it or not. Because when Jesus uh, begins to discuss the nature of his being the bread of life, contextually it is on the backside of the feeding of the 5,000 that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't um, hear that message, I, I commend it to you, not because uh, I delivered it with such great... Uh, you know, success, but it's that the realities of the scriptural truth that we bring our measly portions to him and he can feed the masses is a huge component of the vision of our church. We, we recognize our own incapacity to do anything apart from his grace. So in that context, though, Jesus then comes to these people who are asking for more bread. Now, obviously, we are teaching through prayer this fall and using the rubric of the Lord's Prayer as our guide to understand what exactly Jesus was asking us to do when he said, this is how you should pray. The disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, like John's disciples were taught how to pray, which clearly implies that you and I uh, need to learn how to pray. This isn't something that comes naturally to us. So Jesus began by saying, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we've taught all the way up through there, and today we come to this passage where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. In terms of human nature, give us this day our daily bread could be the most challenging part of the Lord's prayer. You may ask why. Well, when we pray this part of the prayer, we are admitting that we need God for something as simple as our daily bread. 
And this expression of childlike dependence forces us to admit we need someone else to meet our basic needs. This is difficult because according to the scriptures, we absolutely as human beings hate being dependent on others because we find pride in being self-sufficient. We don't want to appear weak or needy. And the truth is that humanity's original sin was pride. You see, our sinful nature longs to be God, to be adored, to be worshipped by others, and to be self-sufficient. I hearken back to the Old Testament where you see, if you will, the genesis of this story. In Genesis 2, verse 15 through 17, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then in Genesis 3, 4, and 5, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the appeal, the temptation to man and to woman, to our first parents was, we didn't need God. We didn't want to need anybody. We wanted to be the object of everybody's attention. We wanted to be the source of life, strangely. In order to protect us from ourselves, now Jesus is going to say, we need to pray so that we can remind ourselves of who we are. You see, it's, our, it's bad for our psyche and our soul that we would imagine that we are the provider. When it's going well, we tend to think very highly of ourselves. We're big stuff. But when the chips are down, when things are tough, we now find ourselves under the crushing burden of having to provide for not only ourselves, but others. I have mentioned in past, in the, that I have mentioned in past sermons that uh, years ago, um, I experienced a crushing spiritually where the Lord allowed me to see the brutal pride that had taken over my life. And the way he enabled me to see this was for a brief half a second, he allowed me to experience what it would be like to feel like I had to really provide for my life, and it was overwhelming. As I faced to the floor, prayed for relief from my fear, I realized that I didn't have the ability to do a thing. And it was in that moment that I realized that I had suddenly, foolishly begun to think that I was responsible. And then when a circumstance changed, I realized that I couldn't carry anything. So all along, I wasn't prepared. So we're told to pray daily for God to provide. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, said this in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. See, a refusal on my part to pray and on yours is really an act of rebellion. It's saying that we want to be creator and provider. We delude ourselves into thinking we can do it on our own, and this produces a false sense of freedom that we can be proud of ourselves. And in fact, the refusal to see ourselves properly as but recipients of God's grace puts undue pressure on us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, 
in God, you come up against something that is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. At our base nature, we're not particularly fond, if we're going to be honest, of having to daily come to the Lord. Because listen, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, that's twice he's reminding us and clearly implying that this is a daily exercise that we are this day to pray for our daily bread. There is an assumption that we're praying every day. And for many of us, we have to um, confess that nothing could be further from the truth, that apart from our mealtimes, we may not be praying at all. So God is calling you and I to pray. And I, and I want to really investigate, because there's some really cool stuff here in this story of Jesus' encounter with people who had just seen him provide miraculously And then him discussing what it means for him to be the daily bread. Jesus, metaphorically, is now going to transpose himself with the bread that he's provided and say, I am the bread of life. And we are called, we are commanded to daily not only seek our needs, but look to him. So let's look into daily bread. And what we discover first is that we ask for bread daily to remember that the Father provides it. That this would be the, pri- the primary reason that we would ask for bread daily is so that we can remember that God has provided it. In verse 30 through 33, they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The truly, truly you've heard is when Jesus is really trying to drive home a point. Repetition was part of the rhetorical style of that generation. And Jesus would say, you got it wrong from the get go. See, you've already messed up. Moses didn't provide his bread. Moses was the one who delivered the bread. Like the disciples who were given pieces of bread to distribute to the people. They they didn't make this bread. The miraculous bread of Jesus feeding the 5,000 was because the disciples brought their miserable loaves, five and two fish to him, and he fed thousands. The disciples merely distributed the bread, and Moses was the same. Moses didn't provide bread for them. Jesus from the get-go says, it was not, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who provided for this for you. The irony is, is that Jesus just performed the miracle of feeding the masses, but apparently for this group it wasn't enough. They had come and followed him to his new location to get more food. And when he starts talking to them about the realities of who he was, they go, well, show us a miracle, as if feeding them in the middle of the desert wasn't enough. Often, we ask God to prove himself, and when he does, we easily forget that he's already done so much. That's why our chapel project verses are 1 Chronicles 16, 11 through 13, because like the Israelites, we so foolishly forget the work God has done. 
Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. A further, further irony exists in verse 31 of John 6 when these people use the justification of Moses in the desert for demanding a miracle from Jesus. See, in the desert, the Israelites in the wilderness is where they angered God with their constant forgetfulness of his miracles. So they actually cite a section of the Old Testament to say, you prov- hey, Moses provided bread for us, we need another miracle. And they forget that that was not like the best moment in the history of Israel. In Exodus, we read that the Lord led their forefathers, whom they were see- they, who they were citing with such great pride, out of Egypt through a series of miracles from plagues to preventing the Jews from being killed by the angel of death through the Passover sacrifice, not to mention leading them through the divided Red Sea to freedom. What we know is that within months of their deliverance, they were already complaining. And later in their Exodus journey, specifically, specifically Exodus 16 and 17, they were given bread from heaven, manna, but they tired of this miracle food and longed for variety. And in Exodus 17, they tested God and demanded another miracle, water in the middle of the desert. And the place in the desert where God's mercy ran out, if you ever wondered where that is, it's called Massa and Meribah. These are two Hebrew words, which means testing and quarreling. Psalm 95 speaks of this experience. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. (laughs) These people had a lot of nerve going, well, our forefathers provided bread in the desert as if that was this great experience. This is when God ran out of patience with the Israelites. The Israelites weren't allowed to store up this manna from heaven. They were required to get it daily. And this was so they wouldn't forget where it came from. Every day they would go out and get food that would fall from heaven. And still they took this miracle bread for granted. And this was evidenced by their very quick desire to return to Egyptian slavery. Imagine if they could have stored it up. Imagine how quickly we would be to forget what God had provided if we were allowed to store it up when every day we're given things and we still forget. We, we, we are baffled at times as we read about the Israelites, but don't we have to confess that we effectively say the same thing? I wish I could live like those who I work with, who don't know Jesus, who seem free to do as they please and satisfy their human desires at will. I wish I could go back to the way it was. I'm tired of this journey in the wilderness that's called the Christian life. 
How many of us fantasize about getting rich, drifting off to sleep, thinking about winning the lottery or making our business into a big booming thing? And we always say something akin to, and I'd give it all away. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people tell me that as I've gone about asking them if they're willing to help our work or help some ministry I've been a part of in the past. And they've said, you know, if my, my business takes off, I'm going to help. And they really mean it, and some of them actually do. But I just know that for most of us, we are not giving now, so what would make us think we were going to give in the future? We're taught by Jesus to give us this day our daily bread so that we would remember our need for him. Not simply because it's right and proper to recognize God as creator, but because it will be our saving grace on the day of desperation. On the day when you have a great need, you will have long since made the habit of looking to and knowing that God will provide. We ask for daily bread to remember every day that God will provide for your needs. Let me put a little practical spin on this, just from my own experience in life. On those days where I get out of bed and I find my way to my favorite coffee shop, Tom's on Walnut between Hill and Lake, you can see me there most mornings. When I spend that time meditating on Scripture and getting fully caffeinated, I, I find myself throughout the rest of the day dealing with the disappointments a whole lot better than I do when I don't talk to the Lord in the morning. I don't think that that's a miracle time where my day goes perfect. Quite the contrary. Sometimes my days are very difficult. The difference is the way I perceive the day. The difference is the way my heart moves so that I can actually respond in a way that, well, that would indicate that I know something of the grace of God and the love of God in my life. You see, that's the habit of looking to and knowing that God will provide which is why we ask for bread daily to remember that the Father is the one who provides it. The second thought I have for today's lesson is this, that we ask for bread daily to remember that Jesus is enough. Again, from the text in John 6, 35 through 38, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Obviously, Jesus has used bread as a metaphor for our soul's need for life. Namely, that that's the life we get in union with our Creator. But when he speaks of things like, Whoever finds me will never be hungry. Whoever experiences me, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Sometimes I'll read those, perhaps as you might, and go, I thirst a lot. What's he talking about? He provides daily for our souls, as he did for the Israelites. But we must set aside time to seek out the bread of life. We need to know that the bread of life truly satisfies so that we won't foolishly seek out that which never will. When the people came to Jesus, subsequent to his feeding the 5,000, here in John 6 where they're running up to him, Jesus says to them in verses 26 through 28, again, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food 
that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the God the Father has set his seal. So often it is our problem that we are seeking after the miraculous and not the miracle worker. The people miss the point of the miracle of Jesus providing bread for them. In their midst was the creator with whom they could fellowship, but all they could think about was what he created for them. This is the real tragedy of the Western export called the prosperity gospel. All throughout the world and in and through American culture is this false claim that the real aim of the Christian life is to apply God's principles from Scripture so that you can make this life more enjoyable and less painful. To put it another way, the goal of the Christian life is not finding satisfying intimacy with our Creator, but getting more of the stuff that our faith genie can create for us. Jesus said He came down from heaven not to do His own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And that will for Jesus was to die to suffer in our place on a cross. His broken body is symbolized in our broken communion bread, and it's the means of our salvation. The apostles and countless church martyrs have died for faithfully proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to God's glory. Today, around the world, Christians are persecuted and killed in countries that are closed to the gospel, and these, like the ancients, are not obsessed praying in faith to get a new house or a more fulfilling career. God's will for their lives is that they'd know the joy of his presence, that their souls would feast on being his beloved children. And you know what? For them, that's enough. And for us, it's enough too. We ask for bread daily to remember that Jesus is enough. But like them, we have to ask for that bread daily. Brennan Manning says this in this terrific book I'm reading right now called Abba's Child. Quote, the indispensable condition for developing and maintaining the awareness of our belovedness is time alone with God. In solitude, we tune out the naysaying whispers of our worthlessness and sink down into the mystery of our true self. Our longing to know who we really are, which is the source of all our discontent, will never be satisfied until we confront and accept our solitude. There we discover the truth that our belovedness is really true. Our identity rests in God's relentless tenderness for us revealed in Jesus Christ. The manna for the Israelites would only last a day. The people could not store it up or it would rot. They would have to daily gather it. This would be for their benefit so they wouldn't forget that God will provide because he always provides. And we must daily find space in our lives to feed on Jesus where we ask him to satiate our soul's hunger and thirst. It is both an act of honesty and one of humility. It is simply true that all we are and all we ever will be are rooted in who God is. To see ourselves properly as in need of him may offend our pride, but it is the means to eternal life. It is the means to knowing God now and for eternity. Again, C.S. Lewis writes, quote, We must not think pride is something God forbids because he is offended at it, or that humility is something he demands as due to his own dignity, as if God himself was proud. <laughs> 
He is not in the least worried about his dignity. The point is, he wants you to know him and wants to give you himself. I love having kids in college. It's a new season for my wife and I. And one of the best parts of it is is I get to do what I love most, which is go out to eat with them, because that's usually the only time they want to hang out with me, which is fine. It works out best for all of us, Um, because I love to eat. And uh, one day I picked up my son at Providence Christian College, and and, uh, we were running an errand or two, and he goes, do you think we can go get something to eat? And I said, sure, we'll go over to Chick-fil-A, grab a bite. And so we pulled into the parking lot, and and instead of going through the drive-thru, I pulled into the parking lot and pulled into a parking space, and he says, oh, we're going in. And I'm like, yeah, if you're going to get a free meal, I'm getting 30 minutes with you. (laughs) And he smiled and said, okay. But see, this is so often my approach to the Father. God, I I just want your stuff. I, I don't want you. When Jesus says he's life, he's the bread of life. When he says we have eternal life, he's not talking about a life that begins once you die. He's talking about a life that you can have now that begins and eternity starts today. See, our souls are thirsty now. I can't wait around till I'm dead. I need something now. I need food now. Jesus says he's the bread of life. And we ask for bread daily to remember that Jesus is enough, and he has promised us that if we will look to him, he will satisfy us and raise us up. He concluded his discourse with these fine people by saying in verse 39 of John 6, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Would you pray with me this morning that we would ask for daily bread, that we would know eternal life today? Father, without you, we can do nothing, and that means we can't even turn to you unless you do something wonderful in us. Jesus, we, uh, we recognize the truth of your word that you are life, and yet we are broken and fallen. You know that. I'm grateful you're gracious to us, knowing that we're human and, and sympathize with our weaknesses. But, Jesus, our souls are desperate for the real thing. And yet you've called us to carve out time in our daily schedule to pray our daily bread, not just so that we would know that you provide, but that we would know that you are enough so I pray that you'd do a work of repentance in us as we come to the broken bread today. A work that would call us to say, I'm going to set aside time each day to hear from you the truth that I am your beloved. For we pray this in Jesus' name.